Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters, a podcast produced by WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. A few episodes ago, we had an interview with Michelle Ashton of the Digital Pioneers Academy in Washington, D.C., where she talked about the focus of her school being exclusively on STEM education um, as other disciplines are integrated into that. And one of the things that she talked about was her need to be able to find faculty. So we're following that podcast up with today's podcast, which is about how we can train the next generation of STEM educators. STEM education has gained substantial attention in pre-K education programs, as well as teacher education and training programs. A recently created fellowship program at Ohio University, funded through a grant from the National Science Foundation, seeks to support individuals who want to earn a master's degree in education with certification in STEM fields. My guest for the podcast uh, today is Dr. Allison Hallman Thrasher, an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education and Mathematics. She specializes in math. Also, Dr. Danielle Donnie, professor of the department, uh, professor in the Department of Teacher Education. Am I getting that right? <laughs> and she specializes in science. And then we also have a Noyce Fellow, which is the name of the program. Um, that is Laura Diaco. Diaco. <laughs> I even wrote it down phonetically. Um, <laughs> so Laura is in here to talk about her experiences in the program. And what we want to learn through this discussion is how we train STEM educators so that they're best prepared to meet the needs of the students going into the future. So ladies, thank you so much for being here this afternoon. Thanks Thank for you having for us. having us. So I want to start, Allison, um, with you. Um, so this was a program that was funded through an NSF grant. And I think to sort of set the stage for listeners, can you just talk about sort of the larger grant program and then how the Noyce Fellowship um, sort of folds into answering the call for that? So the um, Robert Noyce grant program has several different kinds of tracks, but they're all geared towards um, increasing the quality and the quantity of mathematics and science teachers. Um, our particular program is focused on both recruiting individuals with STEM backgrounds to come into the teaching field and um, supporting the retention of those teachers once we um, get them to join the profession. Um, the first four years of teaching are have been shown to be some of the most challenging for teachers. Mm -hmm. And depending on the particular content area or grade band, 30 to 50% of teachers leave the field during those first four years. So mm -hmm. we're really trying to work on that issue. Um, and so that's what the noise program is about in general, is mm -hmm. um, creating more highly qualified mathematics and science teachers. Our particular program is um, unique in that we are focused on preparing our teachers to develop an identity as STEM teachers, not just mathematics or science teachers. And we have a focus on supporting teachers for teaching in rural Appalachian context mm -hmm. and thinking about how to make connections with the lives of students in this area. Mm -hmm. So just to clarify one thing about sort of the, the target audience mm -hmm. for this program. So um, if I am somebody that, let's say, graduated with a bachelor's degree in um, a STEM field, so maybe it was engineering or something like that, and I get out into the job and I say, you know, that that's not my calling. I want to teach. Am I the type of person that you're trying to target? You're exactly the type of person that we, we're looking for. There are other noise programs that are designed mm -hmm. for practicing teachers to support them and provide professional development, but ours is really geared towards people who um, have not gotten a professional degree in education, but have gotten a degree in a STEM field and have now decided, oh, maybe teaching might be the thing for me. So it's really perfect for somebody wanting to pivot, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, 
Danielle, before I get to you, maybe Laura, if you could jump in and maybe tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the program. <laughs> um, well, I have uh, quite a long um, academic <laughs> background that I won't quite get all into that. But for the past three years now, um, I'd been serving as a zero waste and environmental educator in this region um, with a local nonprofit called Rural Action. Mm -hmm. And that experience really um, sort of opened my eyes to wanting to pursue education as a career path rather than um, some of the other opportunities I'd been doing before that. Um, so I thought that this program would be a perfect fit to sort of take my non-education academic background mm -hmm. um, and move forward into being in the schools. And just to add uh, some layers of interest to this, mm -hmm. so Rural yes. Action is a local NGO that serves, a, a, what, approximately, I don't know, 15 counties? I yeah. Know, something the, like that. Sort of. And they have different Ohio region. Yeah, and they have different arms to it. So one is education, one is environmental um, protection, one mm -hmm. is water. I mean, I, I, I'm not the expert; you are. But it's interesting that you were working with that nonprofit. And what made you decide that you wanted to teach? Um, you know, become certified as a teacher. What was the decision? You know, that, that led you to that. Um, working with the schools during my time there. So mm -hmm. in my position, I would go into local area schools um, I, in at least like a four or five county radius mm -hmm. around here and do science programming, environmental education programming. Sometimes we'd work with other disciplines as well. Mm -hmm. And that experience um, really made me interested in working with students more and seeing the opportunity and sometimes the need for mm -hmm. bringing those experiences um, to students around here and the benefit that those experiences bring to them in terms of, you know, learning about this, this content. Mm -hmm. So Danielle, based upon what um, Allison and Laura have already said, you know, this is a program that's serving a specific area of Appalachia and Ohio. In your opinion, why is it that STEM education is, what's the unique need for it here that might be different than other areas mm -hmm. of the country? Or, or world for that matter? Well, one of our main goals is to recruit and prepare teachers first. Mm -hmm. So we want to increase the quantity. Southeast Ohio, being predominantly a rural area, has or suffers, if you will, from the same problem as many rural areas across the United States suffer, which is a shortage of teachers in mathematics and science. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of a problem that kind of goes beyond rural areas. So it's a problem that the United States is facing. Teach schools around here scramble at the beginning of the school year, sometimes in the middle of the school year, trying to find science and math teachers. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the main problems that we're hoping to be able to address with this program by preparing a cadre of about 24 um, science and math teachers. Mm -hmm. um, a second point becomes this idea of STEM. And with STEM, we're looking to see how can we help students in our region think about how what they're learning in science and mathematics actually is meaningful or relevant in real context. So mm -hmm. 
So in ways that help them make sense of what's happening in their community, what they hear about in the news, what their families do for a living, um, and uh, framing the problems that our teacher candidates, our fellows, mm -hmm. think about and plan for and have their students uh, analyze and think about solving is what we want. Um, we think will help support the community. A, a great example of how yeah. this is, you know, sort of built on a place-based education philosophy. You know, I think that's really cool. So now, as, as science, I'm glad that you say that, though, yeah. Scott, because this place-based education is one of the tenets mm -hmm. that we are using Good. in this yeah. program. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, as science and math educators, how, like, you know, for somebody that's not from a math and science background, um, and maybe not from Appalachian, Ohio. What's an example of a way that you would be able to teach a concept in one of those areas that links it to, you know, this area of Southeast Ohio because of its unique, you know, cultural and, and ecological, ge you know, geological characteristics? I mean, the, how does mm -hmm. the place fit into an example of how you would teach a concept? So one of the, one of the uh, projects that uh, all of us were involved with with in collaboration with Dr. Alicia Stegall from the Department of Geological Sciences was developing a unit on um, uh, landslides or mass mm. wasting events. Mm -hmm. All right. We're kind of looking at the environment and uh, can, of Southeast Ohio and trying to help kids have a better understanding of that. And mm -hmm. connecting it to uh, concepts that they would learn in their science classes like mm -hmm. erosion, um, weathering, or that they might learn in their mathematics classes, like slope, slope. Uh, but also connecting to engineering design. So that was like one topic. But why what made it culture or what made it place-based? Um, the geology of the region mm -hmm. makes it uh, very prone to mass wasting events. Mm -hmm. And so students will have encountered this. So they'll learn about the geology, the nature of the bedrock. They'll learn about the factors that make uh, our particular region of Ohio. And if you look at a, a map that describes the, you know, the incidence of those events and then overlay it with the kind of bedrock, you see that this is what it, where it is. Mm, and, mm -hmm. and so it helps the students learn about this science and math content and engage in STEM practices by looking at a local problem. And this is from a, a geological yeah, yeah. perspective. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. very interesting. So Allison, um, as you think about, you know, we've heard about, we, we have a sense of the, the, the program itself. Um, what are some of the details of the fellowship? Because fellowship's a term that not everybody is going to be familiar with. So what is it that the fellowship provides to help support um, students like Laura as they're going through the program? So while Laura's in the, we have a one-year master's program that our fellows are completing. And while Laura's in the program, she gets a tuition waiver for the master's program. Um, she gets a stipend throughout the year, about $14,000. And um, she spends, well, Laura's case is kind of unique because you have a fun schedule. Um, most of our fellows spend two full days a week in a local classroom that's supporting their developing practice along with the coursework that they're mm -hmm. doing in the master's program. Um, uh, our current cohort of fellows began in May of 2019, and they will wrap up June of 2020. And um, 
hopefully all will be gainfully employed come August, September of next year. And then they will have um, online and in-person follow-up professional development. And they also get an annual salary supplement as part of this grant. So they get an $11,000 salary supplement on top of the salary they're getting Mm -hmm. um, for their paid position. Um, So we think it's a great financial incentive for individuals who are wanting to become teachers and kind of how do I make the decision to leave this career and go into teaching. Sure, yeah, yeah. And and the cohort is started. The first one started this fall. Is this that fall, correct? and our yeah. second one will start this coming May, mm-hmm. May twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all three of you, um, you know, one of the things when I talk when I've talked with different people about just what STEM is, you know, it's not that there's a lot of different answers. There's clarity in what the STEM fields are, but I. My perception is that over the last, um, you know, several years, there's been an increased awareness that STEM has to be also connected to the arts and to the humanities and, and you know, that way of thinking. How are you all defining STEM as students go through the NOICE program, um, both in a narrow sense, but then also a, a broad sense in the way that it might be connected to some of these other concepts? I think probably place-based is part of that answer, but go ahead and fill in, you know, the details on that. Um, we've talked a lot about framing our program using STEM practices um, as kind of a guiding philosophy that's unifying all of these different content areas. And um, we've talked about different ways to integrate STEM, the four disciplines. Uh, do we have one that kind of comes to the forefront while the others play sort of a background role or two that come to the forefront? Um, and we've also talked about um, math and science practices and how there are connections in those as a way Mm -hmm. to integrate our STEM ideas. Um, Danielle, what would you add to that? Um, So I think that that captures our uh, philosophy for STEM, but we've also thought about how to engage our uh, fellows in doing STEM in informal spaces where we can connect to more STEAM, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. ideas. Um, So um, we've written about this. We're looking to see how we can uh, actually Um, apply it moving forward. So we've done more of the STEM. We've talked about STEAM uh, as one because we've, again, we've dabbled with it in other contexts. But through our informal events, like when when you all have done, um, and I look at Laura as I, uh, like if we think about just the the example that I gave earlier with uh, the landslides Mm -hmm. uh, unit, uh, we've taken it to different entities. We've looked at how can we, so we've done it with middle schoolers. We've done it with practicing teachers. We've done it with pre-service teachers. We've looked to see how we can integrate uh, reading and writing into mm-hmm. um, into this topic. We've looked at why is it an issue that is important for us to think about as a community, thinking about economically, what does it mean for uh, for our for our community how can what are some ways that we can prevent it so that we can decrease our you know the exorbitant cost that it that it uh, or the toll that it has uh, for the community financially um, we've looked at the design of maybe what are particular designs of homes 
as well as placement, you know. So there's a bit of mm-hmm. science, there's a bit of de- um, arts-based design that goes into it. So that's kind of how we come to integrate it. We are still thinking about this as we develop unit-based mm-hmm. projects. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to integrate. At least we think that it it really requires purposeful or intentional um planning mm-hmm. and uh, and bringing people who know those fields deeply to be able to uh, achieve more meaningful integration rather right. than surface value integration. Yeah. So so we're doing it slowly. Yeah. And, and it's the first yeah. year. So, yes. I mean, obviously, yes. a lot of these things are going to evolve and unfold. Yeah. Um, Laura, as you think about um, your experiences so far, and this is a totally mm-hmm. unfair question because you're only <laughs> a few months in, but... Given given the experience that you brought with you mm-hmm. in working with rural action and, and you know living in Southeast Ohio, have you already started giving thought to? We've heard about land sl- the the land um, slides. Um, have you given have you thought about other areas like if you were teaching and you know FedHawk or you know uh, you know Trimble or some of these area schools? What are some other things that you've observed just in your previous you know uh, place of employment and and work? that could emerge as potential other topic areas that sort of do that place-based application? Um, Well, one topic area that I've had the opportunity to actually work with students on um, in some of those contexts is the sort of localized issue of acid mine drainage Mm -hmm. um, that serves as a really great place-based investigation into water quality issues. You know, why do we have these issues here? Why are they... Um, what in what ways are they unique to this area, but also, you know, investigating other places that we can mm-hmm. find that same phenomenon. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty more, um, you know, place-based connections that could be made, yeah. especially for sciences. There's a lot of interesting natural biodiversity in this mm-hmm. area. Um I think there's a lot of connections that could be made with climate change topics. So there's a lot of um, sort of talk about how this area will actually in many ways be sort of uniquely buffered from some of the early effects of climate change. And so, you know, having students learn about that and why that might be and what parts of, you know, the ecosystem that they could expect to change here as well Mm -hmm. um, are just a few of the sort of ways to, I think, connect local students with what's going on in this region. It's exciting because once you start looking at your local uh, environment, your local situation, Mm -hmm. and you start unraveling these threads, there are so many ways you can look at it because just the acid mining drainage, mining drainage, um, you know, you start to get into issues of water volume and water flow and, mm-hmm. and fluid dynamics and, you know, chemical composition of the um, the the acid and the pH levels. I mean, it, you just start unraveling this thread, and it all sort of you know sort of brings things together in a really fascinating and dynamic way. Um, in terms of um, training for this program. You have, I'm, I'm sure, a lot of latitude in determining how you're going to train uh, teachers like Laura to become teachers in the classroom. You've already said that place-based is one of the principles, but like if you're designing a program to train STEM educators who are coming in like her that already have an undergraduate degree, so they're not going through the entire undergraduate education you know, process, 
what are the things that you all as, as educators try to accomplish with somebody in, in that amount of time to get them ready for the classroom? Uh, well, I think we have a lot to accomplish in a short amount of time, and that's part of what makes the program challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other principles that we are big tenets of our program is developing their pedagogical content knowledge. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we started with that early on was this summer. I think you guys were, what, four weeks into the program? And we took them out to Alexander High School to start teaching right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were surprised. <laughs> <laughs> they were. Uh, we had uh, in consultation with uh, some of our partners, Alicia Stigall, uh, Nancy Sandler in um, physics, Chang Lu, yeah. and Chang Lu in uh, engineering. Um, had helped us develop some lessons, and mm-hmm. we went out to Alexander High School, and they were working with middle school students right from the get go, um, teaching lessons and. Um, the way we had set it up is they had an opportunity to teach the same lesson twice to two different groups of students. Mm -hmm. So they had a chance to sort of reflect and refine those lessons and see how students thought about them and what struggles they had and how they could improve them the next time. Um, So that was kind of where we grounded the program is starting from that experience. And we've been kind of trying to loop back to it um, periodically. Danielle mentioned our informal events that we've been doing in connection with the Ohio Valley Museum of Discovery. Mm Um, and our fellows have been planning activities for those and um, engaging students and families with doing those activities. So there's another opportunity for them to see how students think, how students are interacting with caregivers when they're engaging in these science and math activities. Um, so we've tried to focus a lot on developing that pedagogical content knowledge through giving them lots of opportunities to work with students and see how students are thinking about math and science. Um, We've also focused on developing uh, fellows' cultural competence. Mm -hmm. And so this connects to uh, place-based approaches by having our students think about the assets of the region, but the assets in the community, who the families are, what do they bring, what strengths do they bring to the table, um, what the students can do. What do the students have? What do the students know rather than what they don't know? Um, Looking at the places around them and then developing curriculum. So doing an analysis that helps them think about where they are first and their thinking about the community, the place, the people, learning about the culture, and then examining their beliefs and thinking about how they can build on those and developing curriculum to support and apply in the classrooms. So that's a... That would be a third tenet mm-hmm. of our program mm-hmm. is supporting their cultural competence. So you're trying to be as comprehensive as possible in a yes. short amount of time, recognizing. But but the asset that you have is you have people, you know, like like Laura that comes in that has the excitement to be able to do it, um, and you just need to get them ready for the actual technical certification and then the ability to go into the classroom and be successful. So, Well, one of the things we have to say that even though the program is a short program in a one year to get the professional license, mm-hmm. but we have built in four years of induction support. So mm-hmm. we don't, th- we think that a one, an intensive one-year program will get you into the classroom and will develop a competent t- teacher, you know, in the right. field. However, for the teacher to continue to stay, 
to develop as a leader, to develop in their own competence, we think that they need support. And yeah. we as a team will continue to serve as resources and continue to work with them and connect them to local and national human resources. Mm-hmm. Um to support their journey. So while our master's program is a short one, uh, the whole program is going to be a five-year mm-hmm. intensive program with expectations for continuous engagement with these ideas over time. Mm-hmm. And that's really an ongoing theme in the Patton College yeah. is lifelong learning right. and being change yeah. agents that um, have, are kind of built into everything we do there. Called the so, lead. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It's not just that we have – <laughs> we're very impressed. Yeah. It's not just that it's a one-year program and we're done with you. We really expect that you're mm-hmm. going to continue to be growing and developing as a teacher throughout. I, I didn't ask this earlier, but um, if I'm – so, you know, my, my degrees are all in the field of communication. But um, if I have a change of heart from being dean of a college and say I want to go teach <laughs> high school and get away from all this um, – do I have to have a STEM undergraduate degree to be eligible for the master's program? An undergraduate degree. Some of our uh, fellows have an undergraduate degree in a STEM field and a master's degree in a STEM field. But if I came from a non-STEM discipline, but I had an interest in teaching STEM concepts, am I so, too far behind at that point? Or So one of the things that we've learned in this process is that NSF defines a STEM field mm-hmm. as any field or discipline that they support. So for uh, example, a degree in linguistics counts as a STEM field. Interesting, okay. All right, but as a entrance um, requirement to our program, we look to see what a potential applicant has mm-hmm. taken mm-hmm. In, ter- in content. Mm-hmm. So because we are preparing, well, we wanna develop our fellows STEM identity, we are preparing math and science teachers who right. are going to hold that license. Um, so we need them to have the content knowledge. Yeah. So. Sometimes the degree, the name of the degree doesn't sound like it's STEM, but NSF recognize it, it as such. We also look at, if you, so if you've taken enough science courses and you want to teach science, then we may be in business. Yeah. <laughs> it, th- there's not much risk of that for my undergraduate <laughs> transcript, but nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> statistics I did pretty well in, in graduate school. Um, in terms of um, you know asking you, Allison and Danielle, about your specific areas of expertise, one of the things from my communication background that is uh, deeply concerning to me is that there is a um, a public skepticism of science and factual information, you know, which is at the heart of the STEM fields. So I don't ask you to respond to all of that because there's a lot of baggage that goes along with it. But what what's the reason that you know NSF is saying we need more STEM teachers, and what's the reason that you all decided to pursue this grant so that you could you know help build the capacity for more STEM educators in Southeast Ohio. Why is that so important right now? Well, you know, there are so many reasons for why we want to focus on STEM. One of, if we think about, and I will not touch the, uh, dis, the, dis, <laughs> the dis, public discourse. The, yeah. Mis, yeah, yeah, mistrust in science right now, but I will, okay? Yeah. But first, if we think about the grand challenges that we're facing um, globally, um, whether they're called engineering grand challenges or environmental grand challenges, they are real challenges that we are facing. Mm-hmm. When we think about our health sector, when we think about, so there's the environment, there's us as a species, uh, our interactions with the rest of uh, the natural world. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to prepare 
people and citizens who are able to make informed decisions that affect our future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and that's, to us, one of the main reasons that we prepare teachers, because we are about preparing children. We want children who grow up to be our future citizens of this world who are able to make decisions that support their lives, but also support um the lives of our planet, the, you know, the life mm-hmm. of our planet and our future uh, generations. So that's, you know, scientific literacy becomes then, to me, as a science educator, a main goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's part of what a scientifically literate person engage in or, or member of our um, world in, does is makes mm-hmm. those informed decisions. And um, if you're lucky to have experiences uh uh, where you you know can go to maybe some informal centers um, or are connected with a great sites of research or university outposts uh, where you can develop this passion and this stewardship for mm-hmm. if and I am passionate about the environment mm-hmm. uh, for you know for those kinds of issues then you're in luck mm-hmm. but one of the problems with our areas despite all of its riches is that we don't have as many. There is uh, a paucity of such centers. We are very happy to to partner with the Ohio Valley Museum of Discovery. We are happy to partner with the Ohio Museum Complex, you know, to to provide these kinds of experiences uh, to children in our region. Mm-hmm. But absent that, and as those develop, our teachers in our schools are our best mechanism to do that. And as we develop scientific literacy, we will have less mistrust. There you go. There we go. Allison, you want to add anything? Um, I would say kind of echoing uh, Danielle's idea, mathematically, we also want to focus on quantitative reasoning as Mm -hmm. a way to kind of dismantle an argument, not, again, to get into the public debates. but using mathematics to investigate your world, to look at an issue and kind of take it apart and break it down and decide, do I agree with this or not? And how do the numbers and the quantitative data support what I'm seeing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that all of our students need that's important. Um, I'd also add that um, STEM teachers, because they have these degrees in mathematics, science, engineering, have a lot of job opportunities out there that are more lucrative than teaching. So Mm -hmm. it's oftentimes hard to get enough math and science Mm -hmm. teachers, particularly in our area where the pay is not as well as in um, some of the wealthier suburban mm -hmm. areas. Um, So it's really important to think about how we can support getting more math and science teachers for rural areas. Yeah. Um, Laura, I guess to end with you, um, again, a totally unfair question, but <laughs> if you were to think about, you know, two and five years down the road, you know, what, it, what do you want to be able to do that you're excited and passionate about right now? Like, what do you define as your success as a result of this program? Um, well, the first step would be getting a teaching job <laughs> when I'm yeah. done. Yeah. Um, That'll be easy for Laura. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, and ideally, I would like to stay, um, you know, as close to this region as mm-hmm. possible, stay in Appalachia. Um, and for me, I mean, a big part of my success would just be creating a classroom environment where my students are, you know, able to explore STEM ideas, um, explore 
science concepts in hands-on ways, um, but that also are integrating, you know, scientific practices and hopefully an even more successful version of that would be making sure that um, the rest of my school community, you know, is also mm-hmm. fostering that and that there's collaboration going on between disciplines in my school, that I'm not just the science teacher, but that there's more integration of those disciplines going on um, so that I can actually, you know, be the STEM teacher that I want yeah. to be. Well, we wish you, I mean, we, we hope that that happens for you mm-hmm. because that would benefit, you know, that would impact people's lives. And ultimately, that's why we go into the teaching profession. So we wish you all the best in finishing your program and being able to do that. Well, thank you. So um, this is a program that people have to apply to. So what's what are the details on how one would go about applying to the program in a general sense? And by the way, we're going to put a link to the program in the text accompanying the podcast so people could click through. But like... When do they need to think about doing that in terms of deadlines and that sort of thing? Um, We have an open application window from December 1st to March 30th. Mm -hmm. And so we have several rounds of application reviewing during that window where we'll invite uh, applicants that we're excited about uh, to campus, either in person or virtually, um, for an interview. And then we will make decisions. Um, I think we have two decision dates planned for um, in early part of the spring semester. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate the time that all three of you gave to this, and I'm excited to see how this program evolves. And, um, you know, I think that one of the one of the interesting things about Ohio University is a growing commitment to place-based education, and certainly your program fits prominently into that uh, because, because of its STEM focus. It adds um, a diverse and necessary element to that portfolio. So congratulations on receiving the grant, and um, just like wishing um, Laura luck, I wish the two of you luck as you continue with the program this year and into future cohorts. Thank you. Thank you. My guests today have been Dr. Allison Hallman Thrasher, an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education, and also uh, Dr. Danielle Donnie, who's also a professor in that department, both in the Patton College of Education at Ohio University and Laura Diaco. Yay, I got it. <laughs> Laura Diaco, who's a Noyce Fellow in the program. Um, thank you all for being here. And thank you all for listening to Teaching Matters. Um, we, um, as I mentioned, have a link to the Noyce Fellowship Program that will be in the text accompanying the podcast. So you can just click through on that to find out additional details. Uh, this program, as always, has been produced by WOUB Public Media. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen. We're also available through several popular podcasting apps, including Google Play, iTunes, and NPR One. You can contact us through our Facebook page. Simply go to Facebook and search for Teaching Matters Podcast and send us any questions, comments, or ideas that you have. We would love to hear from you. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Thank you.